Attention Patriots, this is the Chris Ann Hall Show. Who's going to stand up? Where are the lovers of liberty? I think that's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's unconstitutional. It's out of control. You think this is over? This isn't over. There's a liberty wave coming. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Welcome to the show, my husband and co-host, J.C. Hall, bringing you the news from a constitutional, principled, and liberty perspective. So we are still and for the next, I don't know, forever 20 million years, feels like, in this presidential election race. And I wanted to I want to talk about something because we've been talk we've been covering the Supreme Court a lot, JC. Uh, they're in session, so they've been doing a lot of Supreme Court things. There's some more cases that we do need to cover, but we're not going to be doing those today. I want to do the the Davis case which is a federal gun law case, which has to do more with the vagueness of federal laws than it does actually the federal government's authority to create gun laws. But I think it's something that uh, deserves a little bit of time and attention based on the, the nature of the fact that it's, it is related to gun law enforcement on the federal level and it's an opinion written by Gorsuch. So I want us to be able to, to really sort of look into how Gorsuch deals with the federal gun issue. But I wanted to start with today this, this idea. You know, you hear over and over again this idea about the independent judiciary. The judiciary is supposed to be independent of politics. It's not supposed to take sides. It's not supposed to be political. And I wonder, JC, why don't we feel that way about the media? Why wouldn't we be more adamant about an independent media than we are an independent judiciary. I mean, think about it, because at because this... Because there's never been either one? <laughs> well, I know, but I mean, but seriously, I, mean I, don't, I don't mean that, that as tongue-in-cheek. It's, mm-hmm. That's the history of media. Newspapers, when they started out, they had titles like The Democrat. Right. And that, there was a reason. You know, so newspapers and things like that, from, from their inception... Uh, had had a bias. The, the the difference today is they pretend they don't. So if I think Mark Levin wrote a new book about right, he researched uh, media and and all that sort of the newspapers and sort of thing. It's, I mean, it sounds like it was really good, uh, good rich history and research. 
And that's one of the things he talked about in there. But, I mean, that's just the history of it. So, I, so I, you know. But, I mean, okay, so th- There never the has idea, been such a thing. So, I think. The idea why that, I say that is I think we've been conditioned, right? Mm-hmm. That's always been our experience. So, people don't have that expectation. But we have this. But the, the judiciary the has never been independent either. Right. I mean, in the history of time, our government is actually the first government to 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 attempt to create a separation from the judiciary. Right. I mean, me, even in England, difference. when they were creating separation of powers, I mean, yeah. they had separation of powers for a very long time. But the separation of powers really existed between the legislative and the executive. Mm-hmm. I mean, judiciary has always been viewed as being something that is, that is, that is, you know, was in history married to the executive branch, not not generally to the legislative branch, but generally to the executive branch. And our attempt in creating a separation of powers, which included not just simply the executive, the legislative, but also the judicial, we we I, I think, and I don't know I don't know the remedy to this problem, but we have this notion. Right. I think there are a lot of people understand that the media is not independent. I I don't think that there is much illusion in uh, in today that media is independent. I mean, even left, right, whatever. But we have this illusion that the judiciary is independent. And I just want to think for just one second that this is just illogical. Okay, so the media which we accept is not independent. Is, I wouldn't say we accept it. No, we accept the reality that it's not. Okay? I mean, we don't... We, we, we are not... I, I don't know. That's, it, we accept the reality. I don't, there's nobody stop listening. We're not stopping uh, the media. There's nobody protesting the media. As a matter of fact, I, I just read an article that there were 70 protesters arrested last week for uh, protesting the New York Times to try to control their headlines for the uh, to to start calling the cri- the uh, climate change now an emergency it's no longer a well, crisis it's an first emergency. kind of protest like that I mean you don't typically have people outside of the newspaper. Right, but what I'm exactly, protesting. and but what I'm saying is, is they're protesting so that the the media will take sides. Mm. Okay, so that's my point. But we have a media that we accept take sides, and they're actually backed by the First Amendment to maintain freedom of speech, to give us an unbiased presentation of. What is going on in America? I mean, this whole point, uh, a big part of the point of the First Amendment is so that the media is not controlled by those in power. Yet we see that happening, and, and and that's what we have. But the judiciary. So I think you mean we acknowledge that they take side, but we, we acknowledge. don't acknowledge that the judiciary does we that. We don't acknowledge. And think about that. So the First Amendment is set up to maintain a protection so that we don't have a biased media, but the judiciary is appointed by politicians, Mm -hmm. nominated by politicians, and paid by politicians. So there seems to be a sort of, 
disconnect for me. We have this illusion that we actually have an independent judiciary in spite of the reality upon which the judiciary is established. Yeah, I always thought it was an odd scenario. We've talked about this a little bit before that the the idea of the judiciary being independent, so therefore they're not voted, they're not elected, mm -hmm. which is very strange to me. So we want to keep them independent, so we'll sever them from the people, mm -hmm. and then we'll connect them to the politicians that appoint them. Right. And that equals independence. Right. I, that's a very twisted logic to me. It is a very twisted logic, and what's, what's interesting to me is this, again, this separation of illusion that we somehow believe, I mean, the majority of Americans will will repeat that, well, we have an independent judiciary, like it rolls off their tongues, but we don't have an independent media when the protections are actually established, I think, in, in the opposite. Yeah, we don't have like a First Amendment version of, you know, an independence of the judiciary. An independence of but the judiciary the media, and but, establishment. Yeah, but somebody like CNN is, you know, enjoys really almost extra protection under the First Amendment. Well, especially when you consider now the way that the the, the courts handle uh, the libel and slander laws. And the, the media can practically say anything at all with no consequence. We talked right. about that yesterday. So what we have now, well, and what we've always had, for a very long time anyway, not always, but what we've had for a very long time, are newspapers, media moguls, endorsing presidents. Mm -hmm. So this Orlando Sentinel article came up, and I thought, thought it very interesting. Our Orlando Sentinel endorsement for president in 2020, not Donald Trump. Now, this article is written not by a single journalist, but by the entire editorial board. That's the byline. The entire or editorial board of the Orlando Sentinel has bought into this, right? So uh, Donald Trump in his is in or was in Orlando announcing his kickoff to the re-election campaign. Orlando Sentinel says, we're here to announce our endorsement for president in 2020, or at least who we're not endorsing. Donald Trump. Yeah, it was a anybody but him. That was yeah. the endorsement. Anybody but we Donald don't, Trump. We don't care who, just not him. So here's my question. How then can you trust anything that comes from the Orlando Sentinel regarding the presidential election? Yeah, I don't think I you mean, can. I they, mean, they've, they've now got a dog in the fight. Yeah, I read the, the article when it came out and and I had the same kind of thoughts. Again, going back to the history, the, diff the difference today, uh, they pretend to be objective. Mm -hmm. they, you know, they'll claim they're objective. But how, how are you objective when you, I mean, you basically pick sides and you, in this case, you announced your visceral hatred for the president. So th that's the thing. They're, so they're not news reporters. They're news shapers. Exactly. Now, they, you had found for me an article written back in 2008 called A Brief History of Newspaper Endorsements. And uh, it's very interesting, this history of newspaper endorsements. And I bet I bet Mark Levin covers that in his book. Probably. I didn't actually do this, read his book. But what's interesting is that 
the two most circulated papers in the country, USA Today and the Wall Street Journal, don't endorse candidates. But can you also say that they don't influence the way people think about candidates? Do they not give a very directed approach to how they deal with certain well, candidates? I mean, they don't you, come out and say we endorse or we don't endorse like the Orlando Sentinel does, I, but well, they're I, shapers. I don't know if you remember, maybe a year, two years ago, we were traveling and we went from hotel to hotel, you know, in one day on the same morning, actually. So... I woke up and I saw the USA Today paper in one place with the same story with a different headline in another place. Liberty's lobbyist Chris Ann Hall has now taken control. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Don't forget to watch us on YouTube. Hey, don't forget to share these shows. Don't forget to repost them. Put them everywhere. We need to get uh, we need to get the truth out. Now, if you're looking at us on YouTube, as promised, JC has put up the brand new Liberty First Gear T-shirt. Got Liberty, you know, kind of like Got Milk, but it says Got Liberty on the front, and on the back it has Samuel Adams' quote, the quote that actually drives the in the uh, Liberty First mission. No people will tamely surrender their liberties nor be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved. On the contrary, when the people are universally ignorant and debauched in their manners. They will sink underneath their own weight without the aid of foreign invaders. You can get it in multiple colors. You can get it in multiple styles too, right, JC? Did you make coffee mugs this time? or No, no, just T-shirts. So uh, thank you, and go to chrisannhall.com. Click on the store, and uh, we will... Uh, the, well, the company will get the T-shirt out to you. I can't wait to, it actually just went up this morning, didn't it? So I can't wait to go get mine. You know what I found out, what, what I thought was interesting is the Wall Street Journal used to endorse candidates in 1928. They endorsed Herbert Hoover. And the, the journal's editors wrote, quote, that the financial newspaper should be independent, that a financial newspaper should be independent goes without saying. Nevertheless, it advises its readers to vote for Hoover as the soundest proposition for those with a financial stake in the country. And Wall Street Journal no longer endorses candidate because the epic financial crash that came after Hoover was elected, they guess they figured that that was something that, you know, probably uh, tarnished their reputation. <laughs> But notice they didn't endorse, and that's the point that I'm trying to make. They didn't actually endorse specifically, right? But and, and maybe they were a little overt, but I believe that newspapers that don't endorse actually do endorse. Yeah, that well, obviously. I, I wanted to make a side comment that I mean this bolsters 
we have the, another car conversation. I say this often. <laughs> yeah. I, I and you guys can argue with me on YouTube, whatever. Uh, I don't believe we're a purely capitalist country, and I don't think we have been for quite some time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in capitalism, in something pure capitalism, you talk about epic failure, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you've endorsed Hoover and the epic crash. No, we don't do that anymore. It, it, it always bothers me that, nevertheless, Wall Street Journal continued their business, their massive company, whatever. So it's like some of these companies in our system of quasi-capitalism that we have, many times there are no effects when you create a bad product. I mean, mm -hmm. vote Herbert Hoover. It's good for your finances. You suck. You right. don't know what you're talking about. You're a complete and utter moron. Right. So I'm going to continue buying your paper and your advice. I mean, right. It's just crazy to me how so many of the, I mean, think about the companies that we deal with right. that have been just absolutely horrendous at what they do. And it's like they never miss a beat. It's bizarre to me. I don't fully understand uh, these things. It just Well, this article weird. was written in 2008, and in 2008, the editor and publisher of this particular article said, Obama received 127 endorsements, where John McCain received 49. So I just think that thinking about uh, government and, you know, money and all of this other stuff, I want to bring to attention an uh an article that was was published, um, White House unveils 50 billion Palestinian economic plan. Now, I'm not talking about politics what? here. I'm not talking about politics here. Okay, I'm not talking about foreign uh, relations. But this 10-year plan calls for projects worth 27.5 billion for the West Bank and Gaza, 9.1 billion and 7.4 billion and 6.3 billion for Palestinians in Egypt, Jordan, and Lebanon. The project, now this is the White House unveiling this. The project envisioned included those in healthcare, education, and power. There again, men tear up our constitution, and from every direction we cry around. You can't learn the easy way, you'll learn the hard way. Chris Ann Hall, she's Liberty's lobbyist. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Don't forget to go to chrisannhall.com. Click on the In Defense of Liberty banner. You want to be a part of this constitutional training. Those of you who watch us on YouTube, JC, they have to laugh because they get to see me fight with my stinking computer. And I just, it makes me mad. So we have this Palestinian White House unveils a $50 billion Palestinian economic plan, okay? Healthcare, education, power, water, high-tech, tourism, and agriculture. 
a master fund to administrate the finances and implementation of the projects that it says are akin to the Marshall Plan that rebuilt Europe after World War II. Okay, White House plan. Now, what's interesting is the Palestinians are totally opposed to this. Okay, I read the article. The Palestinians they're opposed to the help. They're opposed to the help because it undermines their cause. Yeah, that would make sense. Okay, so it undermines their cause. It's funny. And I was so the 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 Palestinian groups at this big summit are refusing to join the summit because they said all of this money America's throwing on us is undermining our cause. And the cause is hate America. Hate America. Right. 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 Which no, that's actually what I was thinking. So my first reaction is to just the money giveaway, yeah. which is offensive. Mm -hmm. And and we, I mean, we give that to Israel and, I mean, all, all over. We went through the omnibus when Rand Paul was, you know, going line by line and tweeting this thing, mm -hmm. just the billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars that we just give away all over the world. And so that that's, that's offensive to me. However, I was thinking after a minute as I, had that reaction. Then I thought just objectively from an objective foreign policy mm -hmm. standpoint, uh, it, it makes sense. Um, because if you think about one of the reasons they talk about the radicals being able to recruit and, and radicalize these folks, uh, a lot of times the, just the hopelessness, the lack of opportunity, uh, the poverty mm -hmm. and just just the dismal situation that they that these people live in in their own homeland, the radicals leverage that bad situation uh, to stoke hate and, and and channel their their bitterness and their hopelessness. Why wouldn't they do that? I mean, America the, uh, the the politics in America manipulate the American people in, in the, the same exact way, yeah. same way. So well, and you again, have, they, I don't they admit wanna, it too, right? right? You undermine our our cause. Our, our cause. Right, so, exactly. so they're saying, hey, we're, we take advantage of this dismal mm -hmm. situation in order to wage war. Uh, and, and so if you help it, then, then you're undermined. So you, you can make all the, po uh, the foreign policy arguments that you want. It will not change the fact that the federal government does not have the constitutional authority to take money from you and give it to the Palestinians. Right. This is not what a treaty is all about. A treaty is about foreign commerce. A treaty is about commerce, which is an exchange of goods, not welfare. I, I wanted to just talk about this because this is something that you're going to hear people talk about. They're going to have this conversation. Well, we need to make friends and we need to counteract the negative impact and we need to do this, that or the other. You know what? If you want to talk about that, let's talk about the fact that we don't need to be in their business in the first place. And then maybe they can't point fingers and lay blame at us. But here's the truth of the matter. You cannot constitutionally allow the federal government to become the welfare funding for the entire world. It's not even allowed to be the welfare funding for America. Jeff John Thomas Jefferson wrote to Albert Gallatin in 1817, and he said, and this, you know, was the federal doctrine 
that Congress had not unlimited powers to provide for the general welfare, but were restrained to those specifically enumerated, and that, as was never meant, they should provide for the welfare, but by the exercise of the enumerated powers. So it could not have been meant they should raise money for the purposes which the enumeration did not place under their action. Consequently, the specific powers, the specification of powers is a limitation of the purposes for which they can raise money. You understand, they're not taking money they've received from foreign commerce and feeding it back into foreign politics. They're taking money from you and me to now become the, the, the international welfare fund of the world. Jefferson wrote this to Gallatin again on, in 1802. He says, the power to regulate commerce does not give the power to build piers, wharves, build manufacturing machines, set up warehouses, or cultivate the earth. Now, I want you to talk. No, Jefferson is talking about this from a domestic perspective. And if the federal government does not have the constitutional authority to take money from you and me and give it back to Americans, then what is their authority to take money from you and me and give it to foreign countries? This is James Madison's famous speech. Uh, when James Madison was representative of, of a district in Virginia in the House of Representatives, U.S. House, where he's arguing that, the, that Congress doesn't have the authority to actually take money from us and to give it to other people. He says, if Congress can employ money indefinitely to the general welfare and are the sole and supreme judges of the general welfare, they may take care of religion into their own hands. They may appoint teachers in every state, county, and parish and pay them out of their public treasury. They may take into their own account the hand, uh, in their own hands the education of children, establishing in like manner schools throughout the union. They, pay, uh, uh, they may assume provision for the poor. They may undertake the regulation of all roads other than post roads. He says, in short, everything from the highest object of state legislation down to the most minute object of police would admit the application of money and might be called, if the Congress so pleased, the provision for the general welfare. He says, for the federal government to enlarge its powers by forced construction of the constitutional charter, which defines them, so as to destroy the meaning and effect of the particular enumeration, the obvious tendency and inevitable result would be to transform the present Republican system of the United States into an absolute or at best mixed monarchy. So you think this is good foreign policy. Why? Because Donald Trump's administration is handing out the money. Who are they handing out the money to? And how will we, from such a great distance, ensure that $50 billion doesn't become funding for the Muslim Brotherhood or, or some power that actually works against us? Yeah, that, and that's the danger of that kind of foreign policy. Although, now I have to say this, 
from a foreign policy perspective, it, it's a it's pretty ra it's a pretty radical shift. It's it's a very uh, radical shift in approach. The, the the writer of this article, you know, likens it to the Marshall Plan, uh, but but that's that's rebuilding infrastructure after a war. Right. I mean, the cause is. You know, right. here, here the destruction happened. Let's rebuild it. Mm -hmm. This this is a radical shift. And when you talk about, you know, they're looking at this from a defensive. If they look at this from a defensive perspective, right? Even if you would say, oh, we have military to defend us. Well, they use the military for offense. But rather than building bombs and destroying our enemy, you know, let's fund let, them. Let's take. Well, I'm I'm talking about their theoretical right, I, their I theoretical that. idea. Let's not build bombs. Let's build, you know, businesses. Mm -hmm. And it, so it's a radical approach where let's help uh, our enemy's situation, their, our enemy's domestic situation, in order to to diffuse their animus toward us. What's the opposite of a sanction? It's a very radical shift in, it's in an, policy from it's the, the war. It's the opposite of a sanction. Okay, so I can see from a yeah, propaganda yeah, right. perspective. Right. Like I can see this. Right. I can see from a propaganda perspective, if it actually works. Yes. That that this is better than sanctions, because right. we have talked about sanctions before. Sanctions don't hurt governments. They hurt people. They actually help governments build the animus. Yeah. But so I, this is the opposite. Here's yeah. the problem. Our federal government doesn't even have control over how money is spent in America. Thank you. And therefore, I mean, is that you, 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 you got you, you said it before I did. It's exactly what I was thinking in theory, right? In a vacuum, in a vacuum, but it's a very, it's a great, that's a great sort of compassionate plan. Makes a lot more sense. You know, forever bombing never gets rid of the enemy. The problem doesn't go away. If you, if something like this were to work, you're changing the mind, hearts and minds of people and you are really eliminating you know, more of the situation than you would eliminate. But in reality, just like you're saying, this, I was going to say this is a naive and sort of ignorant um, understanding of the culture and governmental structure, for lack of a better word. The, the people that operate this, like the ones that you're saying, we reject this, it undermines our cause. They have such control over those people. They would never take that money and use it for their benefit. No. They would it would go into funding more war. And this is what really because, you know, history, as Patrick Henry said, I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided. And that is the lamp of experience. So we have people who will accept this as a great foreign policy plan because it's coming from Donald Trump. But what if it comes from the likeness of Obama? Right. How do you trust that somebody who's actually uh, a proponent of the Muslim Brotherhood, who doesn't disguise this as some kind of funding for his cause? Think about Charles the first. Charles the first taking money from the people in the name of peace, not funding their allies, but funding their enemies in the name of peace. And so this is why the federal government was not allowed to be involved in this kind of offense, because this is actually the mechanisms of a monarchy. I'm a long, long way from my home, 
Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Just had to put the Got Liberty t-shirt up there again on YouTube. Make sure you go check it out. I'm, I'm, I'm just really excited about that. I can't wait. I'm going to get one for everybody in the family. So let me, let me just make my point, really wrap this up so we can have a real discussion on this. Because remember, Madison warned that if the federal government can spend money on whatever it wants, it becomes at best a mixed monarchy. And this is what kings do. Kings fund other countries based on their political ideologies. This is not something that our government was supposed to be doing, especially with public funds. Yeah, it's a big problem. It's U.S. has a big problem with this. I, I don't think any, any person in our government has any credibility to talk about domestic issues when we're we're passing out hundreds of billions of dollars all around the world. Yeah. No, no. You, I saw in the news the, the the news showing these the pictures of these pylons with paint crumbling off yeah. of them, talking about the, the the destruction of our infrastructure, the 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 degradation of our infrastructure here in yeah. America. How can you actually use that as some kind of a political platform yeah. when this is? I mean, this is just a drop in the bucket Absolutely. when we consider all the money that we are sending all. Over the world. I think in the big omnibus thing, when Rand Paul was was tweeting, I think it was, if I remember correctly, when we did the show, it was something like three hundred billion dollars. So mm -hmm. it was three hundred billion that they were giving out in the Middle East. You got three hundred billion to throw around. You have no business talking about crumbling infrastructure in in America and saying, oh, we need to spend more for this program. It, it, it's utterly preposterous. But I think this goes to stop collecting the 300 billion from the American people and watch the businesses and the lives prosper in America so that we can help other countries on a personal level. I think this goes to what Washington talked about in, in the entanglements because yes. you, you have, you know, you, you may have these good intentions. And I think many libertarians would jump on this, uh, you know, just on the surface of it. Right. Oh, hey, we're we're building communities rather than building bombs. Um, but you got no control over this. But that's the thing. You have good intentions, and like you say, you, how do you how do you get the money where it's going? How do you oversee this? And, and a fifty billion dollars, even if forty five billion gets where it's supposed to go, five billion building bombs and funding wars. It's just all the foreign policy. And you know, I read this stuff and I mm -hmm. study this stuff. All, all of our involvements in the Middle East, there's there's one consistent thread that's gone through all of our foreign policy for decades and decades and decades, and that is complete and utter ignorance of the cultures with which we're dealing. I mean, it, we they don't understand how who, these people think. Anybody work. who denies that we built Al-Qaeda simply does not understand r reality, okay? I mean, you got Hillary Clinton on in news interviews admitting we built al-Qaeda to be a force against Russia, right? So, I, I, you know, I, given the lamp of history, given the culture of these people, how can we even propose something like this? And, and this is, either way, it's interventionism. Uh, interventionism can be positive and negative, and this is exactly what 
we're not supposed to be doing. You know, if folks think this is a great idea and a good foreign policy move, you know who should do it? Israel. Israel. Yeah, there you That's go. That's who should be funding it. But we're funding Israel not us. too. We're we're not the ones, right? right? We're not the ones they're fighting. We're not with. our neighbor. They're who, not our neighbor. Who who are the combatants? It's Israel and the Palestinians. So if if this diffuses it, then Israel should fund it, not us. I mean, that, if this is a great idea, if this is a great move, let them fund it. Well, but once again, the bottom line is this. The federal government does not have the constitutional authority to do this, good or bad. When you allow the federal government to forcefully construct a power that does not exist, then what you're saying is our federal government has no limits. All they have to do is come up with a really good excuse that makes you feel good about it, the right guy in charge of it, or the right boogeyman on the other side, and, and the people will be like, oh. Cut but the check. The bottom line is, yeah, cut the check. Bottom line is, in that situation, you no longer have a constitutional republic. You have, as Madison says, at best a mixed monarchy, and in which case, don't complain about how big your government is and how out of control your politics are because... We created it. It'll sure be great for the contractors building this stuff. Ah, there you go. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.